Thank you, Larry. May God add his blessing to the reading of the scriptures this morning, and may the words from my mouth be what we need to hear today. Good news, bad news. That's what I've titled my message this morning. Good news, bad news for a pastor might be, the good news is the Women's Guild voted to give you a nice birthday gift. The bad news is the vote came in at 11 to 10. Uh, it might be good news is that church attendance increased for the last three weeks pretty significantly. The bad news is you were on vacation. Good news, bad news. We get both from time to time, don't we? But one of the most difficult things for people in leadership positions is when you have some bad news that you need to share with the people who you are working with or ministering with. And that's where Jesus found himself that day. He had to deal with the problem of giving his disciples, those who were the very nearest to him, the news of what was going to happen. Now we know from last week's message that they were at Caesarea Philippi, and the good news was pretty much everywhere. Their ministry had, up until now, been a huge success. Crowds pressed in on them everywhere they went. People eagerly reached out to touch this young teacher who came from Nazareth. The disciples themselves were pretty caught up in the excitement of it all. And Jesus asked them, remember last week, who do you say that I am? And of course, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Correct answer. It was one of the most dramatic moments in the disciples' travels with Jesus. Then came the bad news. Jesus changed the subject. Up until now, it had been mostly good. But now, Jesus starts to give them a different kind of news. He tells them that crowds will soon, those same crowds that are now following him and worshiping him and admiring him will turn against him and that he will be crucified. But on the third day that he will rise again. Disciples, of course, as any human would, were confused. And they didn't understand how this could be. They didn't know what to make of all of this. And then Peter, of course, being the one to speak up once again, took Jesus aside and he said, Lord, don't let these things happen to you. You don't have to. Well, Peter loved Jesus. And the last thing that he wanted to happen was for him to be killed. But Jesus' answer to him was pretty harsh, as I said to the kids. He said, get behind me, Satan. You are not on the side of God, but on the side of man. And then he said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever wants it, loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be if a person is to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? 
Or can anyone give anything in exchange for their soul? This was decision time. It was decision time for the disciples, first of all. The easy days were coming to an end. If the disciples were going to continue to follow Jesus, they were going to have to prepare themselves for a rough ride because it was coming. Bishop Will Williman says that he is still haunted by a long conversation that he once had with a man who was a member of one of his first congregations as a minister. The man told Williman that one evening, coming home from a night of poker with the boys, he had a stunning vision of the presence of Christ. He said that Jesus appeared to him undeniably, vividly. And even though this vision shook him to the core, and this vision stirred him very deeply, in ten years he had never told anyone about it before he told his pastor. Williman asked him why the silence. Was he embarrassed? Was he afraid that people would make fun of him or mock him or not believe that this had happened to him? He said, no. The reason I told no one is because I was too afraid that it was true. And if it's true, and if Jesus is really real, that he had come person, personally to me, what then? I'd have to change my life. I'd have to become some kind of a radical or something. And I love my wife and family, and I was scared I'd have to change to be somebody else, to destroy my identity and my family if this vision was real. Well, we know, of course, that he didn't have to do those things, all of those things. This was the kind of a decision that the disciples had to make at that moment. And it should be a decision that we make as followers of him, too. Jesus is really real, in the words of that man. That's good news. But it's also life-changing news. Because Jesus is real, it should make a difference in my life. And it should make a difference in your life. If we take it seriously, then maybe some changes have to be made. Maybe our priorities have to change a little bit. It was decision time for the disciples. It's decision time for us. Of course, it was also decision time for Jesus. In a very short time, he would be kneeling in a garden. Sweat would be dripping from his brow like great drops of blood, according to the scriptures, as he prayed, Father, if it be thy will, let this cup pass before me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus knew what was coming. He came to do the work of his heavenly Father, and that included laying down his life for his people, laying down his life for you, for me. Reverend Alex Stevenson says, The story goes that in ancient Israel, there was an old wise woman, and this old wise woman wanted to know what the Messiah would be like if she saw him. And if she saw him, would she know him? 
So she prayed that God would show her what the Messiah would be like. And as she prayed, an angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, Your prayer has been answered. Just watch, and you will see the answer to your prayer. And the old woman looked, and there in front of her, she saw a little farm. And she heard a voice. And that voice said, Joshua. And then she heard another voice. Yes, Father. Go fetch some water for the sheep. They're thirsty. Then she saw a young boy running to the well to draw some water. Then she heard that voice again. Joshua. The boy said, yes, Father. Go plow the fields so that the seeds can be planted in good soil. Then the woman watched as the boy plowed a field. Then she heard a voice a third time. Joshua? Yes, Father. Go bring the sheep into the pen. Darkness is coming, and the wolves will get them. Then the boy went and brought the sheep in. Then the angel said to the wise old woman, Do you understand? And the wise old woman said, Yes, I understand. The Messiah will do as he is told by his father. Jesus was obedient to God. He did what God the Father told him to do. There was a story on the Reader's Digest website from a lady named Patricia who said that she was raised in an Irish Catholic family with a strict father, a lovely mother, and eight siblings. She said that during Lent it was common practice for their parish priests to visit their homes and to visit their grade school classrooms to help them to understand what the season of Lent was all about. His name was Father Lynch, and Father Lynch visited her youngest brother Danny's first grade class, and Father asked this question, why did Jesus die on the cross? Well, her brother raised his hand, and Father called on him, and he said, I know why Jesus died on the cross, because his dad told him to. What a perfect answer, the wisdom that comes from the mouth of children. Patricia said clearly, Danny understood the chain of command with our family and with God. And it's true. Jesus did know the chain of command. He did what his heavenly father told him to do. Another woman named Laura wrote to Reader's Digest to tell a very different story about her three-year-old daughter. She said that after moving to the country, she and her daughter were left, often left alone in the house. Because they lived in the country and they didn't have any neighbors close by, she wanted to make sure her daughter would be able to call 911 if something happened to her mother. After teaching her daughter what to do and how to dial 911 and what to say, she asked her, she said, I'm going to test you now, okay? What would you do if you found me on the floor and you couldn't wake me up? She says that her, little bro little, her daughter's little brain started working, and she finally said to her surprise, well, that's easy. I'd go into the kitchen and eat anything I wanted. 
Not every child is going to do as their parent tells them to do or teaches them to do. But Jesus obeyed his father's will, and it cost him his life. Christy Brown tells a story that works as a modern-day illustration of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. It comes from a friend that Christy plays tennis with. As they were waiting for another game to finish, her friend was telling her how badly her knees hurt. This was a surprise because Christy says that her friend is the most fit 30-something person that she knows. But her friend sat beside her with a brace on both of her knees. Christy pointed to the open hole of the knee brace and asked her friend if her scar was from her knee surgery. And her friend said, no, it's from my son, and I actually have another scar identical to it on my other knee. And then she told her story. It happened several years ago at a swimming pool. She scooped up her toddler son from the pool, and she started to walk toward a lounge chair. And as she stepped onto the tiled patio, her foot slipped on the wet, slick surface. She says that she was seven months pregnant at the time, and it was one of those moments where you feel like you're moving in slow motion, but there's nothing you can do to stop from falling. Right away, she knew that she was going to go down. And she could either fall on her face and land on top of her son and her unborn baby, or she could fall on her knees and not harm the children at all. Of course, as any loving parent would do, she chose to fall on her knees directly onto the concrete. Both knees split open, required stitches, blood everywhere. She ended up with these scars, but her son and her unborn child were both uninjured. It's a sacrifice that any good parent would make. She had scars on her knees, but she protected her children. It was her time of decision, and of course she chose to care for her children. This was a time of decision for Jesus' disciples, but it was also a time of decision for Jesus himself. Not my will, but thine be done. That was his decision. And then he gave his life for us. A man was walking through an art gallery when he came upon a picture of the Lord Jesus dying on the cross. He looked at this picture and he thought it was just beautiful. And as he stared into the face of Christ, so full of agony, and you could see the pain on Jesus' face in this picture, the security guard walked up and tapped him on the shoulder and he said, Lower. The artist painted this picture to be appreciated from a lower position. So the man bent down lower. In his lower position, he saw new beauty in the picture that he hadn't seen before. The guard said, no, lower. Lower still. He knelt down on one knee and he looked up into the face of Jesus and there he found even more beauty to behold and to appreciate. The guard finally said, lower still. You've got to go lower. So the man dropped down on both of his knees and he looked up. And only then, as he looked up at that painting from such a low position, could he realize the artist's intended view. Only then 
could he see the true beauty of the crucifixion and of the face of Jesus on that day. Jesus did the will of his Father, and we can see the full beauty of his sacrifice if we'll fall on our knees and look up. Jesus took the disciples aside at Caesarea Philippi to give them some bad news about the immediate future. This was a time of decision for Jesus' disciples, but it was also a time of decision for him. It cost him his life, but think what came from that one single event. More than 2,000 years later, millions of people still bow down at that name, that name of Jesus. The bad news of the cross became the best news ever told, the news of resurrection, eternal life, and the kingdom of God. Amen.